Thanks for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. So we're in our series called Shaking the Box, talking about how the Old Testament prophets wanted to know what kind of Savior they were going to get and prophesied about Jesus. So I asked my kids to go to the dollar store and pick me out something in this box. I don't know what it is. I'm trying to guess. So this week, I'm going to guess based on what I know about my children and based on what I know about the dollar store. I think I know my children are maniacs, and I know that the dollar store has a bunch of random stuff. So I'm going to guess, based on the size, that there is some sort of novelty toy in here, perhaps a whoopee cushion. Today's guest is a whoopee cushion. All right, we'll see. I'm opening this box on Christmas Eve, and we'll find out what is actually in the box. But today, I'm going to guess a whoopee cushion. I'm looking at Sarah Beth because she knows. She's smiling. I think I might be close. You know, if you ask a lot of people why they don't go to church, people that don't go to church, if you ask them why, they'll, a lot of them will tell you. They think Jesus is great, but they just don't want to be around a bunch of hypocrites. In the past few years, the news has just been full of pastors who turned out to be abusers or swindlers or just generally unfit for ministry. And each time that happens, we're confronted with the shame that this person represents the same faith that I'm in. I am... I'm coming to church worshiping the same God that these wolves in sheep's clothing are preaching about. What am I supposed to do about this? What am I supposed to do about being in the same church, worshiping the same God as people that I think (laughs) are abusing God's name? It's tough. But Malachi was in a similar boat. So Malachi lived about the same time as Jeremiah, the guy we talked about last week. And and Jeremiah prophesied about corrupt leadership and hope for a righteous king. Malachi wasn't as concerned about the government. Malachi was more concerned about the church, the people of God. So while Jeremiah was talking about a corrupt kingship, Malachi is over here prophesying about a corrupt, hypocritical priesthood. You see, Josiah had instituted reforms in the land, but those reforms hadn't made it all the way to the priests who were living out day to day in the temple. And so some of them may have been coerced into reform by the king. Their hearts just weren't in it. And they got really sloppy in the way the priests operated the temple. They weren't leading the people of God into worship well. And God was pretty upset about it. It turns out Malachi was pretty upset about it too. 
There were three things that the priests in that time were doing that didn't sit well with Malachi. The first thing is that they were offering up subpar sacrifices. So people would bring their cattle to be sacrificed by God, but the priests were not offering the good cattle. They were keeping the good cattle for themselves. And, and they were eating that and making money off of that good cattle, and they were only offering the sick, diseased, or injured cattle to God as a sacrifice. God commanded the best sacrifices, not the worst. And they were letting greed and laziness get in the way of what God commanded them to do, the job that God commanded of his priesthood. They were taking it for themselves. So they were offering up subpar sacrifices. The second thing they were doing is they were marrying foreign women. And now, I don't think that it's wrong to marry someone of a different country or a different race or anything. It's not about that. But it was opening them up to syncretism. Their children, the, the children of the priests of God, were not being raised in the way of God. They were being raised in the way of false gods and false idols. And so while the priests of God had these technically Jewish households, their children were being brought up to pray to different gods, to offer sacrifices to different gods. And they weren't following God with everything they had. So they're, they're... Offering subpar sacrifices, they're letting their kids learn and, and, and grow up to be idolaters. The third thing that they were doing is that they were skimping on tithes. Instead of paying their tithes to God, as God commanded, they either gave a fraction of their tithes or they didn't give it all, thinking that nobody would notice. And these are the priests these aren't just the regular people. These are the priests, the people that live on the tithes that other people give. We're not giving their own tithes because they're just massive hypocrites. And they thought no one was going to notice, but God definitely noticed. So Malachi's living in this time where they've got these frat boy priests all running God's temple, but they weren't leading people to God. They weren't leading people in worship to God. They weren't encouraging people to give their best to God. They were playing lip service to reform, but they had so much other stuff mixed in, so much idolatry and greed and lusts of the flesh competing among the priesthood for their duty to the one true living God. And if the priests aren't going to devote themselves wholeheartedly to God, who else is going to? If the people of Israel can't look to the priesthood to, to actually care about their faith, then what are the rank-and-file regular folks going to do? They're going to follow suit. And so Malachi cries out and asks, Where are you, God? Where is the God of justice? God, can't you do something about that? And then he answers his own question. He cries out for the God of justice, and he looks into God's promises. He looks at the kind of Savior that God is going to bring, and he shakes the box and sees that one day God will deliver 
a Savior who will make things right. And this is where we get to our text today. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is what God responded to Malachi. See, I am preparing my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Malachi looked forward and he heard from God and he saw that God will send a Savior who is a refining fire. The priesthood had become so corrupt and so impure that the kind of Savior Malachi needs will have to be someone who purifies, will have to be someone who cleanses. Now, in those days, the the refining process for metal was a process of burning out impurities. You just heat that metal to the point where the metal melts, and anything that's impure in that metal burns away, and what's left will be pure. There's a lot of baggage around the word purity, especially in our culture, but purity at its heart means one thing, right? Purification is a process by which you take something that has all sorts of stuff mixed into it, and then you, you take the contaminants out so that only one thing is left. When you purify water, you filter all of the stuff that's floating around in it, and at the end, you're left with nothing but water. When you purify gold, you get all the contaminants out, so there's nothing but gold. You you leave one thing remaining. That is purity. And he says, Jesus was that refining fire. He was concerned with one thing and one thing alone, reconciling his people to himself. When Jesus came into the temple and saw that there were greedy money changers, that there weren't room for the temple for these two things. There wasn't room for commerce and worship. So he needed to purify it so that there would just be one thing left. And he drove out the money changers because there wasn't room in God's temple for two things. There's just room for one thing, worship. When Jesus confronted the religious leaders of his day, the ones that were the hypocrites who were out for themselves, he held their feet to the fire and he held them accountable because they were out for two things. They were out for God, but they were also out for themselves to show everybody how great they were. He wanted them to only be about one thing. God, and the things that God is about, which is love for neighbor. Now, this refining fire sounds great and all, but man, refining is an unpleasant process, right? The refining of metal, you've got to melt it. You've got to change it. To clean a garment, you've got to really get in there and scrub it and dunk it. 
Now, nowadays, when people refine gold, they don't use fire anymore. They use chemicals to refine. I went through a, a YouTube rabbit hole of, of metal refinery. It's really interesting. But they use this combination of acids that they, they pour over this gold and they dunk into this gold. And you would think that using chemicals to refine would be a gentler, gentler kinder process than you know, heating it up in fire. But I got to tell you, I'm not so sure. I watched this one guy make a gold bar out of some used jewelry he bought on eBay. The, the jewelry was all 10 carat or less. It was like this cheap costume jewelry that he had. And so first he took out all the clasps or stones out that were removable. And then he put the jewelry in acid overnight. And the acid dissolved the gold completely. So the next day there were all these clumps of lead and other metals in this gold colored liquid solution. So he poured off the liquid gold and he removed all the lead out of the container. And then he let it evaporate. And then he did it again because some of the lead got through. And so he kept this up until all that was left was this gold, fine gold dust, which then he melted down and poured into a mold to get this brick of gold that was worth like $15,000 because he started off with his impure gold and melted it. And it was wild to me that at one point in this process, there was $15,000 worth of gold swirling around in a beaker, completely dissolved. But to get the gold to purity, he had to do it. He had to completely change the state that that gold was in to get the impurities out. Then he could melt it down and shape it so that it would be one thing, pure gold in the form that the guy wanted it to be in. And when we say that God is a refining fire, that Jesus came to be a refining fire, it means that we have to submit ourselves to a process that is no fun. It's painful. And we have to be willing to be changed. You can't not be purified and stay the same. You've got to go through a change in order to be purified. But at the end of it, we'll end up being wholehearted. We'll end up being one thing. You see, I think Christians in general have these two warring impulses inside of us. We want that pure, integrity-filled church on one hand, but on the other hand, we want to be left alone. <laughs> and you just can't have it both ways. You cannot go unchanged and expect purity. Purity involves a process by which we go from being one thing to be going another thing. And then you got to let God put the pieces back together. Right? We mourn when it comes out that a prominent pastor has had some sexual indiscretion. We cry about all the hypocrites, all the hypocrites in our church. But then we got to ask ourselves a question. What if I'm one of the hypocrites too? Oh, there's so many hypocrites in church. Yeah, because there's humans in church and humans can't live up all the time. The standards. And yet, when we are confronted with ways in which we need to be better disciples, we balk. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who do you think you are to tell me that I need to change? 
We want to have purity in our churches without having to change for it. We want other people to make it pure without having to do the work on ourselves. And you cannot have it both ways. We can either have a comfortable, low-challenge, easy faith, or we can have a pure, integrity-filled, faithful faith. But we cannot have both. You cannot have low-challenge, high-integrity faith. It's either high-challenge, high-integrity, or low-challenge, low-integrity. Because the process through which God makes us pure is a refining process. It's a process of breaking us down into our component elements and reforming us in His image. It's a process of letting go of the things of the world so that we can be filled up with one thing, Christ. Not two things, one thing. And the problem is, it's such a difficult and painful process. We want things to be easy. We want it to be pain-free. We don't want to have to endure refining. But God cares much more about our souls being pure than He does about our comfort. He wants us to be wholeheartedly devoted to Him, and He's willing to do what it takes to get us this way. So there's kind of like a bad news, good news situation. The bad news is that we cannot escape purification process if we want to be high-integrity followers of Christ. We just can't. It's going to be painful, it's going to get hot, and it's going to be uncomfortable. That's the bad news. But the good news of gospel for us today is that Christ is the one who's doing the refining. Christ is the cure for what ailed Malachi, and he's the cure for what ails us. And while the process might hurt, while it might be uncomfortable, being wholly devoted to Christ is worth whatever the process costs. It's worth whatever gets burned away. Jesus is worth the price. And there's more good news too, because think about this. God could choose to refine us, or he could choose to give up on us. The fact that God cares enough about us to put us through this process to make us pure means that God has not given up on us yet. He's not given up on the church yet. He could just leave us to our own devices, leave us to our own hypocrisy, not care about us enough to correct us or to refine us. But we have a God who cares about his church, who cares about his children enough to call us out, to take us to the mat, even when the ones that need to be called out are the leaders in the church. He is not giving up on you, he's not giving up on me, and he's not giving up on the church. He cares about us enough to refine us. And that's good news, y'all. And the last good news I have for us today is that the one who refines us, the fire that burns us up, is the fire of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is also a refiner that shapes us, but He is the one that gives us the power to live life in victory. 
The Holy Spirit is a fire that burns away the bad stuff, but he also gives us the replacement of that bad stuff, which is more of him. He gives us the power to endure the refining process and the power to be better off without all that other corrupting stuff than we were with it. The Holy Spirit is a miracle of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he gives us power to endure. So my question for us today, my question for myself, my question for you is, what is the Holy Spirit going to have to do to get us to where we are one thing? What does he need to burn away in me today that's keeping me back from wholeheartedly devoting myself to him? How will God dissolve you of how you are right now and form you back into the person that he wants you to be? How can you use the adversity you're facing right now to better submit to God and be refined? Because God might not be the cause of your adversity, but he wants to use it to form you and shape you to be more like him. And maybe instead of asking God to make life easier, we should be asking God to use the difficulties that we're going through to refine us so that we're more wholeheartedly devoted to him. Purity is about one thing. I don't know about you, but I've got more than one thing inside of me. I've got warring impulses inside of me. And I need God to refine that stuff out of me so that I'm about one thing and one thing only, the glory of God and the mission of God. The mission of God is that everybody should get to know him. We talked a few weeks ago about how the first thing is that we love our God, the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second thing is like unto it, to love our neighbor as ourself. And that encompasses the one thing that God wants us to be about. What is God going to have to do in our lives to refine us to that one thing? I want to invite you today, if you feel like you've got some impurities in your life, if you think that you're about more than one thing, I want you to pray and see what God needs to do to refine you. We've got less than usual space at the altar today, but I want to invite you to move a poinsettia if you have to and come to the altar and ask God to refine you. Let's pray. God, it can be so easy to despair when we feel like the faith, the church, other Christians aren't living up to what you've called us to. It can be so easy to write off faith altogether because of all the hypocrites. But God, I, I know I'm one of them. God, I know that you do not want me to be like I am currently forever. And that means I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to be refined. I'm going to have to go through a process that might not be pleasant, might not be easy might be awfully painful, but will be good. God, I pray for purity in your church. Not the kind of purity that tries to keep other people out, but kind of purity that wants to 
make myself about one thing, and that's wholehearted devotion to you. God, refine us this morning and refine your church. Refine us so that we can be about you and you alone. In your name I pray, amen.